You're listening to a podcast hosted on the Podcaster Matrix. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition. Episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. Lockets are items that carry that which matters to us for a variety of reasons. What if that locket not only contained the pictures of those around us, but also were the centerpieces of voices that told us that it was time to kill again? There's a lot to unpack inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series, and all of it will leave you wondering when and how Will this story end? It's time for the Curious Kids Podcast. A retelling, a revisit, and an always educational review of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 3, Episode 14, Repetition. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. Nightmares still coming for you. Those of you that have not chanced across Two Guys Talking Horror's wonderful perspective review of 1984's Nightmare on Elm Street, I got to tell you, Nick and his cohort, Jason, put together a masterpiece. It's something that I've just listened to once again this last week, and uh, it was constructed years ago, but is still a masterpiece to share. Uh, Again, it digs in deep as to the whys of what's going on inside of that film, but also some great perspective from you and your, again, your cohort, Jason, are just brilliant in that, Nick. Oh, yeah. Well, I I thank you. Thank you very much. We we put a lot of love into that. We are both uh, huge fans of the franchise. It shows. Really and does. that first film is so iconic where horror is concerned for uh, our generation, Jason yeah. and I's generation. Yeah, yeah. And you can find the Perspective Reviews as well as a bunch of other really great Perspective Reviews over at PerspectiveReviews.com. Seven comics you should be reading. Something else that has been pulled out over at Two Guys Talking Horror is another wonderful show with you and Jason again mm-hmm. that talk about seven comics that you should be reading. And I, I think a lot of people have forgotten that there's some really great horror storytelling that's going on in comics. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is uh, another one of our lethal listing episodes. Mm-hmm. And this is seven comic books. Uh, and, and not all of them are, are currently going on right now. Some of them are miniseries, so they're over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time of the recording of the episode, they were still going on. But we go through a list of seven of the most current horror comic books from all across the board. We're not just talking about the big two from Marvel or DC. There's a lot of great... It's a renaissance now. Yeah. Renaissance for horror, both film, television, and especially comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I encourage anybody who enjoys reading those four-color adventures to go and check out that episode. It's over at twoguystalkinghorror.com. All right, just when you think that we've talked about enough of horror, wait, there's more. <laughs> wait, there's more. It's time for the retail for this episode of Friday the 13th, the series, season three, episode 14. Repetition. A congratulatory event is being held for a certain newspaper man, a man who's been named the best American columnist of the year workaholic, and now columnist of the year, Walter Cromwell. As the ceremony continues, an older lady looks upon him and is clearly proud. Walter accepts the prestigious award and shares, if not for something someone once told him, that 
During all of our lives, we acquire responsibilities, tackle them as best we can, and nothing will ever go wrong. Hmm. Obviously, the woman is his mother, and both share an incredibly happy moment inside this episode. He drinks to her, and all of the people at the paper. Later, while packing his mother into a cab, Walter notes that she's a bit tired. Walter is staying behind to finish up a column. Walter heads off to his office to continue working late into the night. Ah, workaholicism. The next day, across town, a woman ushers away her daughter and her dog to the park, hoping that she will see her once again soon. Well, this is Friday the 13th of the series, Mike. I, I, I have a feeling something bad's going to happen. Walter is just now leaving an all-night writing-filled office escapade, and he jumps into his car. He's heading home, but is nodding off because of his overnight working extravaganza. The dog and young girl are playing innocently in the field next to the roadway down the street from the one murky bridge in town and sleepy Walter drives off the roadway and careens directly into the young girl. He jumps out of his car wondering what has happened and he finds Heather, the young girl he is now responsible for killing. He cradles the young girl in his arms and heads off Somewhere, no idea where, whatever. The dog valiantly makes a mad dash home, baying at the front door. Heather's mother finds the dog and wonders, hmm, where has her daughter gone? Weeks later, inside the Curious Good Shop, a woman has come by to take some items to use inside the local homeless shelter. Her name is Anna. She's having a conversation with Mickey. Apparently, Jack and Johnny are away from this episode, but that's not important right now. Anna states that she will take the blankets and the shoes, and then the doorbell dings. Hey, it's Ruth. You know, Ruth, the mother of the girl that went missing a month ago. That one. Anna introduces herself and shares that she's the counselor from the local homeless shelter. She also shares that she'd like to visit with her later on to see if she can help her. Just then, inside the only Canadian church inside this town, Walter has chosen to visit a confessional. He shares all of the details, but hasn't spoken to the police yet. You see, he's hidden the body, but it's still driving him crazy. He has to take care of his mother after all. He can't go back to do anything different now, but he comes up with an idea. Walter can share the location of the body to the priest, and then he can take it to the authorities, but that's not going to work. The priest will not help him. Confess your sins. Not to me, but to the police. It is the only way, my son. Later, the previously complimentary editor is now railing on Walter, who clearly is just trying to work himself through something. The editor finally gives Walter an ultimatum. He removes him from the payroll until he can pull himself together. And Walter grabs that jug of Jim Bean and has a swig to prepare for yet another drive home. He arrives home, but the sounds of the berating editor are echoing in his brain, and he accidentally drops his briefcase outside his home, which breaks open and covers the ground with an sundry of papers and thus and such. All of them fly under his vehicle. As he crawls into the car to recover the briefcase's contents, he spies a locket attached to the underside of the car. Amazingly, it's been dangling there for 30 days since he ran over the little girl who was wearing it. He grabs it, and the moment of him killing the young girl is instantly replayed in his collective vision. And then he hears the young girl saying, You've got to get me out of here. Help me. Walter looks at the locket and then sees <gasps> Heather, the little girl that he killed with his car. While he can clearly discern that it's her, she's somehow silhouetted, almost ghosted inside the locket. Walter then crosses himself and pockets the locket and rockets inside. Not sure of what he's heard, he then hears it again. Help me! But now, his mother is calling from upstairs. Walter! The girl in the locket then starts asking questions to Walter. Is that your name, Walter? Walter, you've got to get me out of here! He puts the locket in the garbage disposal and gives it the what for? The grinding continues as he heads upstairs to tend to his ailing mother. Walter, I need my medicine. Walter provides his mother with a spoonful of medicine, then heads back to the kitchen. 
The grinding has now somehow stopped, and Walter takes another swig of wine. But then he hears a little girl's voice again. I don't have to be dead. Believe me, Walter. Walter then resurrects the perfectly fine locket from the garbage disposal. Walter doesn't know how to change things, but then she tells him, I can be alive again. Just find someone to take my place. That's all you gotta do. Take him back to the place and the time that I died and trade places. The next day, we find that Walter has taken Mumsy to the field where he struck and killed Heather? Huh? He puts the locket around his mother's neck. Walter, what's going on? I'm cold. Why are we here? He tells her that it's a present. The rain builds and continues to fall. His mother wonders exactly what's going on. And as the time he struck Heather arrives once again, he hears the little girl's voice. Kill her! Kill her, Walter! Kill her now! Set me free! And so he does! By smothering his mother with a gingham blanket! The life completely leaves her, and as it does, a young Heather emerges from the place in which she hid the little girl's body. A well not far away that apparently has no protective barriers of any kind, but that's not important right now. As Heather extricates herself from the previously waterlogged makeshift coffin, she locks eyes with Walter, and he cradles his mother's corpse. She then scurries away, bewildered and dazed, unsure of what she's seen. Walter places the body of his mother inside the car and prepares to pack up Mumsy's wheelchair. Shortly thereafter, a strange musical note plays. Anna, the counselor from the homeless shelter, drives by and sees Walter's car as he's putting Mumsy's wheelchair in the trunk. Anna, you see, is on her way to console Heather's mother. Just then, Heather arrives back in her house. Her mother and she embrace, and everything is just fine. Walter brings his mother back home and places her corpse on the bed and covers it with a blanket. He can't quite believe what's happened and returns to the bottle and makes his call to his mother's doctor to tell him that his mother has passed. He's wondering if someone can be sent over to collect her and then hangs up. Then he hears Mumsy's voice. Walter! Walter, help me! Horrifying to be sure! Once again, he sees and experiences the moment that he killed his mother. He pulls the sheet back and... <gasps> nope, no jump scare here. She's still gone. But he hears her voice. He looks at her neck. <gasps> it's the locket! Mumsy's disembodied spirit is now trapped inside the locket. Just as it was Heather, the young girl's before. <gasps> Mumsy continues calling to him incessantly. Across town at the Happy Homecoming, Heather is recounting the big blue car that came at her. She also notices that now her grandmother's locket is missing. But the mother doesn't care. She's simply happy that she's home safe and back from her month-long departure that nobody barely cares about. Walter returns back to the place of his original vehicular narcolepsy incident and flashback again. Walter once again kills his mother, this time in sepia tone. He drops the locket in the same place that he hit Heather's body, over there, the unburied well, and flees. Walter then returns to the church to explain the events of the last day to the priest again, expecting absolution. It wouldn't have mattered anyway, because his mom was going to die soon anyway. I do not understand, my son. Confess to the police, not to me. The priest pleads for Walter to get help. Please, get help. But Walter continues to insist that it was a fair trade. But then again, he hears his mother's voice. Don't leave me here, Walter. My time wasn't up yet. Walter clearly wants to be left alone for God's sake. But he will not be left alone. Outside of the one Canadian church, he walks past the one Canadian police officer. Walter continues to hear his mother's voice, who pleads for her life to be returned. Amazingly, Walter is now walking past the homeless shelter. You know, a place filled with vagrants that he likely thinks will never be missed if they were to, I don't know, disappear mysteriously for no particular reason. It's a chance to bring his mother back and stop the voices forever. Awesome. 
Anna finds her way back to Walter, who has come in to visit inside the homeless shelter. Walter continues to hear his mother's voice, and a dude nearby tells him to keep it down. His name is Bill. They all think you're talking to yourself. If you talk to yourself, they're going to take you to the farm. And if you go to the farm, you're going to be locked up like a loony. Yes, Bill knows this firsthand. They have a short conversation, but Bill is wondering if Walter has a place to sleep tonight. Walter shares that yes, he does. Unfortunately, it's only large enough for two. So I can't bring my buddies along. Got it. All right. See you later, buddies. Bye, Bye. Bill. See ya, Bill. Bill and Walter return to the roadside ditch where the locket was last placed. Walter retrieves the locket out of the well and brings Bill out to the field. Not so awesome. He gives Bill the locket, and then as Bill is somehow distracted by the goody magic and shininess of the locket, Walter cracks Bill on the head, thereby killing him at the appropriate time, continuing the chain of ghastly events inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Across town, inside the only mortuary inside this Canadian burg, Walter's mother is being embalmed, and unfortunately, then comes back to life. <laughs> And then dies again! Walter returns home and, hey, look! It's his mother's doctor, who tells him that his mother has died. Unfortunately, at 7.14 a.m. today? Huh? The doctor thought he had checked, and he thought that she was gone, for reals. But Walter still can't quite believe it. You see, she's dead again? He returns despondent to the streets and now hears... Bill's voice emanating from the locket. I never did nothing wrong. Nothing. Walter, you gotta help me. Walter then accidentally runs into his former boss slash editor, who notices that Walter is now on hard times. It's only been like three days. But still hard times. He's very sorry and wonders if there's anything that he can do. Walter only wants to be left alone, and he then returns to the homeless shelter to get a free hot cup of joe and to scope out his next victim to fix all that ails him inside these very long series of days. Two of Bill's friends wonder where Bill has gone. They inform Walter that they look after their own. Walter then gets into a physical altercation with the two men, and Anna breaks it up. Anna consoles Walter, who still hears Bill's voice. You're still hearing my voice, buddy. I need you to help. Please, I've never done anything wrong. Just save me. Anna now wonders why Walter is here, because, you see, he doesn't really fit in. And wants to know what's happened inside of his life. Anna reassures Walter that there is help and a solution available. She is concerned, however, about what might have happened to Bill. Walter simply shares that Bill will be back tomorrow. <laughs> right. She then shares that Walter must admit that he's made a mistake. You see, that's where it all starts, according to her. Walter heeds her words and leaves the shelter, apparently without a next victim. As he leaves, Walter finds a missing persons poster. <gasps> it's Heather, the little girl, and a new plan erects itself inside of Walter's brain. He heads back to the church to try and share his solution with the priest again, that he has now decided that tomorrow morning he's going to turn himself into the police. But he's got to make everything right first. Walter crosses himself and heads out of the church. Do the right thing, my son. Confess. Over at Heather and Heather's mom's house, they're playing inside the house in the front room. Unfortunately, Outside the window, it's Walter! The next day, Anna is heading to the homeless shelter and gets a call from Heather's mother, who states, unfortunately, that Heather is missing again! Anna decides she can help and is on her way over. After apparently kidnapping Heather from her home, Walter is walking with Heather towards the same terribly magical spot and states that he's going to give back her locket. Well, isn't that nice? He gives it to Heather. Just then, Anna drives by and sees Walter's car parked alongside the road. She pulls over to investigate, and as Walter apologizes and smiles to Heather, Anna calls out to Walter. Heather notes that the locket has now changed. Hers had a lady on it. This one's got some guy. 
Walter hears Anna's calls and notes that the darkly magical time is fast approaching. He grabs Heather and tells her to be quiet, and then they hide. Anna continues seeking out Walter. Heather then suddenly remembers and sees all of the other death that has been at Walter's hands over the course of the last month, and then runs towards Anna. Anna protects her as Walter explains what obviously would sound like a crazy man's story. Bill's voice calls out to Walter. Take Anna's life. I mean, it doesn't matter who you kill as long as there's somebody that dies. You gotta kill somebody, though. Somebody's gotta die to bring me back. Walter didn't want to hurt anyone. Walter can't fight the voice of Bill anymore and grabs an empty bottle and shatters its stick end, making a terrible weapon. And then... Shoves the broken end into his own neck, thereby killing himself. As Anna grabs the locket, Bill somehow arrives from the depths of the unburied pit, and Anna ushers him away from Walter's now dead body. The next day at the Curious Kids shop, Anna has the locket, who has now given it to Mickey, who is apparently trying to reconcile it inside the manifest, and does. Anna asks Mickey if she's interested in the one-of-a-kind item that she got from one of the homeless people at the shelter. She also shares that Jack had always said that the Curious Goods Antique Shop was the perfect place for unique items. As Anna makes her way from the front door and... The phone rings! Hey, it's Jack from Parts Unknown! Before Anna leaves the shop, she overhears Mickey and Jack's conversation. Mickey confirms that she did get an item. One that was an incredibly lucky find, and they were fortunate enough to recover it before it caused any real trouble. Every episode of Friday the 13th has goods and bads. Let's get to the good. Thunderous child running down effect. Now, for those of you that think that I am applauding the running down of innocent children playing in a field, that's not that's not what we're talking about here. That's not important right now. Right, well, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, what I am referring to, however, is the dummy that they ran over. It was horrifying. It, it oh, was, oh yeah. It was an absolutely horrifying moment where they ran down a dummy that was put in perfect place. To look like they were approximating the running down of this young lady. Perfect place of the, the, the dummy body, perfect placing of the stunt car driving, perfect editing, because had you stayed on it for too much longer, totally would have looked fake. Yes. But it was just enough to make yeah. you go, oh, shit. Yeah. It, it, was, it was an eye-popping moment. It, it's, the kind of, it's the kind of moment I want to see inside this show to make it that starkly horrifying oomph that yeah. this show needs and it 100 percent. well and the 100%. only problem though is that then afterwards when walter's out of the car looking at the body she doesn't look all that bad i mean yes there's blood on her face mm-hmm. but i mean had a car struck a child at that speed at that angle you wouldn't be seeing that on a tv show in the 80s right which which i was actually mm-hmm. surprised that they showed the body i was actually hoping for the whole you know, let your imagination fill it in and just read Walter's expression and then mm-hmm. you just don't see it anymore. Yeah. But, uh, and I think maybe if a gripe for this effect would have been the fact that they kept showing the kid and instead of letting us uh, fill it in with our imagination. Yeah. But, but damn it, that impact, the, when the car goes into that, I, I'm not a parent, but damn. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was horrifying. And there's two things really to, to recover from here. One, they had they had to show her because we get to see her again, and it's got to match something. Mm. So there's that. The second thing is that, just to be clear now, I am not a fan of Thunderous Child running over with cars, and Nick is not a fan of... Not seeing not the carnage. Seeing the carnage after running over children. So please spare us your email. Thank you. Come again. The actor that was Walter, David Ferry. Giant, giant kudos for this young man playing what obviously was a workaholic, then turned into drunkaholic, turned into murderaholic. murderaholic. Yeah. Wow. Just a, a, a wonderful role showcase here that was everything that it needed to be. It was manic. 
you could just clearly see the and read the emotions that were running through his brain. Mm-hmm. And I love to see that because, for, again, we've talked about it many times inside of our program. There is something to be said for people that are really, really good at saying things. But there's even more to be said for those that show us something while saying nothing. Yeah. And you get that inside of every single scene here inside of this show. This episode is very important where the Walter character is concerned because that's who's carrying it. Yeah. It all revolves around Walter. Agree. And we're introduced to a good man, Mm -hmm. a hard worker who does not take the credit for everything, shares the credit. He's a he is a devoted son. He is taking care of his ailing mother. He wants to be a good employee. He's doing everything that he possibly can to to be a good person. And we get to see that. And we are there to experience that one moment where he made a mistake by being a workaholic. He stayed up too late. He's falling asleep at the wheel. And oh my God, now everything's going to be different if this gets out. So we see that good man driven by fear and guilt to hide what he did so that his life does not change because why should he go to jail he's a good man well you you you're not a good man anymore because you're not you're not manning up and confessing i mean that's the whole point of the 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 priest scenes Mm -hmm. even though we made fun of them in the retail Mm -hmm. but the whole point of the priest scenes is own up to it yeah Face the consequences. Extreme ownership. There's right. no question. Accountability is is paramount here. Right, right. And, and we see him, we even see him trying to continue to be good when mm-hmm. once he realizes, oh, I can bring the girl back, I can fix this, all I have to do is just sacrifice somebody else. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to kill somebody else. Oh, but but mommy, I mean, she's she's on her last, last leg anyway. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, she she's lived a great life. Mm-hmm. This would also alleviate some of the burden he has on taking care of her. Mm-hmm. So it does seem like a good trade. So, again, we are still seeing somebody who is thinking about, oh, I'm going to trade somebody who's lived a full life mm-hmm. for somebody who hasn't experienced life yet as you know, a young child. Right. So, again, you you as the audience can actually go, I, I can understand that thinking and, and everything could be fine. But this is a cursed item from the devil. So, no, everything is not going to be fine. And he just keeps on making the wrong decision. And that's why the episode's called Repetition. It's because he keeps on making the wrong decision. And it's executed beautifully by David Ferry. An episode that has nothing to do with the main cast. We've had a number of these over the course of the last three seasons. And there have been some good ones. And there's also been some really, really bad ones. And this is an example of if you're going to do it without the vast majority of the main cast, this is how it should work. Right. Well, I mean, this is this is a uh, this is definitely a, a diamond in the rough one because. Oh, yeah. Two scenes. We get Mickey for two scenes and that's it. Literally, that's it. The only time that we see a reoccurring cast member is two scenes, the equivalent of maybe three minutes of episode time. Everything else is relying on the character surrounding this cursed object. This episode proves that you can tell a story inside the Curious Goods universe, and you don't necessarily need Mickey, Jack, or Johnny to be able to tell your story as long as you pull it off as well as you did here. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why we have a reoccurring cast so that you can rely, you can lean on those cast members to help alleviate the story. But we didn't need that here because good Lord, that just, just Walter's journey from beginning to end is a roller coaster ride. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, really it's, I, I, I kind of feel like had Mickey and Jack and Johnny been involved, it, they would have just brought things down. Yeah. I, when they'd have been inserted for insertion's sake. Yeah. We've talked about that a couple mm. of times, too. And I think the other thing, too, is that we, we didn't mention inside of the other goods here, but I wanted to make sure it somehow found its way. The, the endearment of a locket is a big deal mm-hmm. because I, I don't have a locket of anything that fosters my life along, mm-hmm. but my wife does. And she holds it like it's the grail. Mm. I mean, it's 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 amazing, the endearment that is paid to it. And so the the endearment, the value that is given to an item like this is real. 
And being able to put that as the centerpiece of an episode that has, quote, literally nothing to do with any of the main cast. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. That's what we found that was good inside this episode, along with a number of other things that we're, we, just, we don't have a three-hour show here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we're wondering what you thought was good inside of this program. Let us know what you think by going over to our website that's Curious Goods Podcast. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you thought was good from this episode. Every episode of Friday the 13th of series has its goods and its bads. We've covered the goods. Now let's take a look at some of the not-so-goods. No one cares that a child was missing for a month. So Mike had a huge problem of the non-police procedural insertion <laughs> part of this episode uh, that dealt with the missing child and the return of said child, but then nobody actually did any kind of investigating, like, where were you, child? I get it. I get it. I totally understand that it is a, a piece that probably should have been talked about more than 20 seconds inside the the episode. Absolutely agree with you there. But again, it's not about the missing child. The story is about Walter and everything that he's going through. Right. So, And, and I agree with all that. There's a couple of overtures that this show has made in the past. Mm -hmm. One, obviously, has been towards children. Mm -hmm. The other is social services. They've mentioned homeless and showcase homelessness mm -hmm. uh, in a variety of episodes. There's a couple of others that jump into cultural bounds, and they're all very, very good. And I just for one minute, <laughs> I would have liked to have had somebody lean into the fact that this girl just disappears for a month it all just seemed very ordinary in a very inordinate in inordinary experience and uh, again i'm not looking for the show to preach to us i'm not no. uh, i'm not looking for that i i just i wanted something else that i didn't see because it was a big deal for me right i know that if my daughter just disappeared off the map for 30 days with no with a, a lot of trace nobody knows anything of what happened Except the dog. I guess the dog yeah. knows. But Well, and the way that I look at it, though, is that the 30 days being gone, that that seemed fine. That seemed normal because at the 30-day mark, the police are not going to be involved as much as they were within the first 48 hours or even the first week. Mm -hmm. So it's the mother, who obviously is a single mother, is just going around putting up new flyers. That makes sense to me. What I think should have been shown is that when Heather miraculously shows back up there should have at least been a police officer and maybe one squad car with its lights on in the background taking a statement and mommy cradling her daughter and and heather just going i remember i took tiger for a walk and then i saw a car it was about to hit me and then there was this man who was holding this old lady and evidently the car hit the old lady that's all i remember and it, had it been a cop taking that statement instead of Anna, the inserted counselor character, so that we could have that through for the, the insert, I'm going to take homeless people as my victims angle, I, I think there would I think you wouldn't have had such a problem. Yeah, I, I think But, but we totally never fair. had any of it. Well, also, right. because when Heather goes missing later on in the episode, when Walter kidnaps her, Heather's mom is not calling the police. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Heather's mom is calling Anna. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I totally understand why this is in the bads. Absolutely. But the saving grace for it for me is that it's Walter's story. Lack of locations. So we made fun of this during the uh, the construction of we'll always the retail. Make fun of this because it's 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 so easy. <laughs> it's the total layup of the of the. It's a sign of the times that the the budget for this show had, and I totally get it. But it seems like there were only three areas that you could focus on in this episode. There's the city, you know, which which held Walter's office, the Curious Goods shop, and the homeless shelter. Then there was the stretch a roadway with the rickety bridge and the field that had the unattended well <laughs> and then there was the residential area that heather and her mother lived that's it and i i get it i get it. i we're kind of, it's, it's kind of in here just because we had to find things to bitch about for the bads but but it just kind of goes to show you where budget has to be when mm -hmm. you're thinking about a show that it, that was so low budget as this one was yeah 
how do you keep things as simple as possible? And and I guess this was the easiest way. I think there's a little bit more to that because I I don't not agree with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I just I think I have a different take on it. Mm-hmm. The, the different take is this: uh, to be familiar with what's going on, it helps to be familiar with the areas in which you're traveling and visiting and doing whatever. Well, those of us that travel to work probably drive the span of miles rather than a three-quarter mile area right, right. <laughs> that can all be seen from a helicopter shot or whatever this was supposed to be. They portray it that way so that you've got a supreme idea and source of context for everything that's going on. So I, I'm on the other side of this one where it wasn't so much the lack of locations. In fact, I thought that the not only the lack of locations, but their their area you know, thinking about it now, this might also have been what fostered my want for there to be something about where the hell was this girl for 30 days? Mm. Because we're not talking about miles and miles of area here. Right. We're talking about what I think is a very compressed area. And again, the, the searches that they do for people now when they are missing are, are pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Like a field of people just looking for clues. Right. Well, and we again, also have I, aerial drones that right. can be, you know, you, you've, we've got Thermal all kinds of block, great stuff all nowadays. All kinds of kick-ass shit. But back then in the uh, the late 80s, early 90s, it's pretty much, you know, you put your shoes on and you're, you're walking around in the woods all right. night just but looking for clues. Even the even the FOD line, um, foreign object detection line, mm-hmm. I, I was expecting, again, it, I realized it's all about budget. We saw the one cop. <laughs> Who we, wasn't doing anything doing except nothing. for writing a ticket. Right. And I, I get it. I, I'm not looking for a police procedural, but I was looking for something that would stoke that flame of something really, really outside the ordinary or outside the ordinary is going on here. And that that is the piece that was missing. It, it's kind of what uh, really grabbed me inside of a show like The X Files, which I realize had a much larger budget. Mm. So I don't want to get on apples and oranges with that. But that's my sample where you watch that show just about any frickin episode and you go, I cannot believe what we just saw. And somehow they were able to contain it in the context of just a show going on. And that's what I was looking for here and we didn't get in a variety of different things, including this one. The tacked-on ending. For this episode, the bads are more of a, oh, I think this way, I think this way, and then we get to have a discussion because we've gone back and forth on all of the bads so far, and this Mm -hmm. one is not going to be any different. Right. The reason why this is inserted is because Mike did not care for how, oh, just Jack just so happens to call Mickey as Anna is leaving, delivering a cursed good. And happens to be in the shop when this conversation takes place. Very tacked on for for you. Now, for me, I I do understand that, you know, TV writing, wrap it up in a bow, a nice nice through line for, you know, because, oh, Jack is parts unknown. Hey, we're going to hear from Jack. And we usually end up doing that. He either does make a call that we never hear the other side or a telegram gets sent just to let the the kids know where where Papa is. Mm Mm-hmm. But this one, this one, I actually liked because we're we're hearing Mickey and and Jack, even though we don't hear Jack's side, we know that Jack is asking. So, did anything curious happen while I'm gone? And yes, it just so happens we did get our hands on a cursed item, and Mickey's line, we were able to get a hold of it before it caused any trouble. Now. We all know that that's not true. It caused a lot of trouble. It caused a lot of pain and grief. And Anna knows to an extent that there was a lot of pain and, and, and grief that was revolving around this locket because Walter had it. So we get to end the episode with a freeze frame of her her face, of Anna's face, with the the sadness of the events that revolved around this locket to where... Almost like this silent little nod that she's looking at the audience going like, we know that things did not go well. And we will be the ones that get to carry that burden. Mickey, Jack, and Johnny don't have to worry about it at all. They just get to mark another check off in the manifest. So that's why that's why I'm defending it tacked on. Does it seem a little tacked on? Yeah, of course it does. It, it does seem tacked on, but I feel like there's a little bit more gravitas to it. Or maybe I'm just reading more into it because I love this show. I don't know. 
Well, there's two things here. One, I thought it was tacked on because I, I really thought that this was a strong episode mm-hmm. without any of that. If Mickey doesn't get a call, and if it's just her turning over this this gorgeous amulet that is a something from one of the homeless people, and mm-hmm. I think this is the appropriate place for it. Let's call it even. Wow, that's great. Thanks so much. Handshake, handshake. She walks out. Kick ass. Yeah. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. If we follow the through line and we're given those sepia tone images that now Anna's got, and there's no detrimental because she wasn't involved in any of the murdering and the mm-hmm. guy that was killed himself, and you can tell that in a matter of 35 seconds somehow, I'm a fan. Mm. But we didn't get that. The graph that you're talking about is something I would definitely graph to if we knew that she had some knowledge. Then then that freeze frame at the end would have a lot more poignant focus. And th- that's what I was looking for. If we're, if we're given a story that I thought was solid already, I didn't need the, quote, tacked on-ness of Jack making a manifested phone call at the end. I think we needed that, that tacked on phone call, though, because of Anna's last comment to Mickey. Because they have that conversation, you know, Mickey goes, oh, hey, did you hear Heather showed up? Well, of course, Anna knows. Anna was a part of all that. But Mickey doesn't know that. So Anna goes, well, yeah, I, I heard all that. It's nice that uh, nice that uh, there could be a happy ending. And then we get the, oh, yeah, everything's great, Jack. We found a cursed item and nobody got hurt. Or did they? And we get that, that look. I, I, again, I, I, I feel like it could have been conveyed better. But this show, one of the things it does in that final button is always that they try to give that nugget of, ah, oh, the the pr- the price of comeuppance yeah. or you know, but, but, but that. right. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm, I feel I'm with you on that. I'm with that's you on what that. they were trying to do here. Yeah. And for for me, they pulled it off. But I feel like I think we're both in the same boat. They could have done better. Obviously, Mike and I have some different opinions where these mm-hmm. bads come from. So uh, what we want you to do is, hey, head on over to the website. Go over to CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the web form and let us know what your opinions are on each of these bads because we both were at odds on all of them. We want to know, what do you think? We're running a little bit long here during this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We will be right back. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From the voice box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The one question every podcaster needs to ask themselves is, why am I still editing my own podcast? We all know that editing your own podcast is the worst part of the podcast experience. Get the editing off your plate and reclaim more time to make more content with the Editor Core. Affordable, talented, experienced podcast editors are ready to take your podcast literally to the next level to make it soar. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. This is John D. LeMay, and you're listening to the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. Everyone, welcome back to the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and an always educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, it's Season 3, Episode 14, Repetition. Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to crack open our manifest moments. Our manifest moments are where Nick and I recognize either an actor's portrayal, many inside of this one, a storytelling element, or something else inside the episode that tripped our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? I think for uh, my manifest moment for this episode, I'm going to go for simplicity, for simplicity's sake. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about the cursed item and the effect. Mm. So we don't 
really get a, a chance to examine the locket before Walter discovers it and sees the silhouetted image of Heather's disembodied spirit. But we get to see it eventually here and there as just a regular locket that has the silhouette, a uh, white uh, ivory etched silhouette of a woman. And then the effect, once it is triggered and used as a cursed item, it, it, it goes dark and the silhouette is now a shadow of the person who has evidently been killed while wearing or holding the item. Today, if that effect were to be done, they would do it in so many different ways with CGI, blah, 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 blah. For back then, the level of special effects that were being used at this point in time, it's very easy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's super simple. Mm-hmm. And I know that most people, especially most people today, would look at that as being cheesy, but I got to give it a round of applause for oh, just yeah. being simple and fitting to the design of the actual locket itself. Mm-hmm. Because if it was somebody faced forward, kind of like pounding on glass, please let me out, let me out. Well, that doesn't really fit to the way that the locket is when it's not in activate curse mode. So the fact that they they thought that, okay, so we need to make this look as close to the original thing as possible when it's all cursy and evil. Absolutely love it. That's why it's my manifest moment. I think that's a great one. Uh, mine inside of this, there's actually two little moments and they're not too far from each other. Maybe be maybe 35 seconds from each other. Mm. And it's real simple. There is a strange musical note that I mentioned in the retail as well. So it's that musical note... But then it's also, there's a, a musical swell shortly thereafter that is very heroic, mm. very strangely put. And what I took from that inside the storytelling element was Walter is trying to make a difference and do something right. Asterisk. Right, yeah. You know, and that's, that's what I love about this show is that if you wipe away all the terrible, horrid, murdery parts... Very often, it's somebody trying to do something to right something that has gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, it doesn't continue. And I, at least I don't remember hearing it again inside the episode. It struck me very interestingly inside of this episode. So much so that I've made it my manifest moment inside this episode. Mm-hmm. And that's where we ask you guys, what was your manifest moment inside this episode of Friday the 13th? Season 3, episode 14. Repetition. Let us know what you think by going over to our website, CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form. Tell us what you think. Vocabulary. Ah, vocabulary. The words that make Mike and Nick Brain go round inside the Curious Goods Podcast. The first word is... Embalming. Embalming is the art and science of preserving human remains by treating them in its modern form with chemicals to forestall decomposition. This was a very interesting moment inside the episode because as it was occurring, Nick was across the table cackling and saying, I was so interested in seeing something just like this. Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, I have, I have faint memories of this episode. Okay. I have faint well, memories cool. of the lispy silhouette of a young girl mm. yelling at somebody to save her. Mm. And I have the vague memories of an old lady screaming by, uh, while being embalmed. And holy shit, my childhood flooded back to me when it happened in the episode. I was like, I was hoping that I felt like this was going to happen, and it happened. And you're lucky this wasn't my manifest moment, sir. It almost was. <laughs> old lady gets embalmed. Yeah, and, I decided and, I was going to go classy for this episode. And and it was quick, too. This It was it, quick, it, but but to the point. Oh, there's no question. There's no question. <laughs> no, no, no question at all. And uh terribly impactful. Mm-hmm. This was it was tastefully just, done. Just as impactful as a little curl getting hit Absolutely. by a car. Yeah. Absolutely. Our second word inside this episode is decomposition. Decomposition, mentioned inside of our very first vocabulary word, is the process by which dead organic substances are broken down in simpler organic or inorganic matter, such as carbon dioxide, water, simple sugars, and mineral salts. This is very interesting, mostly because 
it's one of the things that people are most afraid of with death. Mm-hmm. And when you start breaking it down into its constituent parts, it is just science. I, the, the reason I mention this here is because there was a period of time where I was following a series of medical students as an interpreter. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that don't know the interpreting game, regardless of what you're interpreting, mine just happened to be sign language. When you follow someone as an interpreter, you go to the places that people go to to learn things. And inside of medical students, there are often, very often, the opportunity to go and visit dead people. Mm -hmm. In one of the instances that I interpreted for, the explanation by the instructor was spectacular because the definition that I just read you was very akin to what he explains to people, and in this case to young people, Mm -hmm. who likely had never seen a dead body and hadn't experienced anything in the way of death. And when I say these words, I hope you'll understand what I mean. It was fun to see the light bulb moments on many of the people that were watching. Well, because it's science. Right. you got to break it down because it's no longer a living organism. Right. There there is no person there anymore. It it is the next step in a process. Right, yes. And that it's it's easily one of the light bulbs that I myself had as a younger person because this would have been when I was 24, 25. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't seen a dead person either, ever. No dead body, no my my parents were alive. Uh, We didn't have close family, so I never went to funerals, none of that. It was it was an awakening moment for me as well. Mm. And uh, again, I always try and drag people into the understanding part of decomposition versus the being horrified by it. Because, I mean, it is horrifying. Right. Look at de- de- decomposing body. That's horrifying. It is. Depending on how long that body's been decomposing before it gets treated. Right. And, or see, where you find it. I mean, a bloated body in water. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Well, and no. see, that, that's something else that has also followed me into all of the... Now, reasonably graphic police procedurals that you'll see in one vein or another, either on television, streaming media, or inside of feature films Mm -hmm. now, they're willing to drag the audience through the varying decomposing states of bodies. And they're not always accurate, but they at least give you something that it is not... When you see a body that's... We'll use your sample. That's been in water for 30 days. uh, JFK Jr. JFK Jr.'s body did not look like JFK when he went in. Nope. Like at all. And only your imagination can take you where you think it might go, and it's probably not nearly stark enough. Mm -hmm. It's the dance of imagination that will eventually meet with fact that I love to seek out and find. It it's what I get from podcasting. Yeah. Jumping into podcasting through a variety of different entertainment venues allows me to go into things and talk about things just like this. Because this is what I know I want my daughter to know decomposition is. It's not a horrifying dead body that you have to be reviled by. It is the next step process for somebody that has died. Their body will decompose. Their body will go back to wherever they eventually choose to go, whether it's to go and be cremated, whether it's to be put into a casket and live inside of that vessel until whatever or to be buried in one of the other different burial venues. Now there's um, the most recent one that I've recently found very interesting is the one where you can be buried and you're essentially in, in a bag and all, everything inside of your body, as many think it should be, is returned back to the earth to help things grow like plants and trees and grass and animal and bugs and the rest of the shit. Right. And having those perspectives as the perspective you have in your brain that's what I love about podcasting. It allows us to dip our toes into all of that and learn. The only reason why I picked it as one of our vocabulary words is because Heather had been in that well for 30 days, and then she comes popping back out Look pretty looking awesome. perfect, perfectly fine. Right. And I get it. It was It's the magic of the cursed item. I get it. But if we were doing something today, if this show was remade today and this story was being recycled, I think it would be interesting to see the decomposition and then maybe the return of life. Yeah. Uh, and I, they probably wanted to do that in this episode, but, you know, you don't got the budget to be able to pull that off. Well, and I, I, Nowadays, I, you probably could, though. I also have to wonder if back then that they wondered, man, wouldn't it be cool if we could insert what you just said? And they go, yeah, but, I mean, there's no way to do that now, especially with the time we got. And they're, they're right. 
there there were ways to pull off things like that. I mean, Michael Jackson's Thriller in 85 is a perfect mm-hmm. example, where look at the dead people walking around. Right. Time and so, money, though. Yeah, Time and money. Absolutely. That's where we ask you guys, what did you find that was an interesting vocabulary word inside this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form. Tell us what vocabulary word struck you inside this episode. Episode rating. Ah, the rating. Choosing how to grade this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the list. A congratulatory moment being shared by you and your mother as you receive the Columnist of the Year Award. A 1 is on the bottom of the list. Being embalmed after being brought back to life by a curse locket and then killed again by being embalmed. Everything starts as a 7 is an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick... You guessed it. There are... No habsies. Nick, what do you got? Uh, this episode is real simple for me to give a rating to because we covered pretty much everything that needed to be covered in our goods. <laughs> our bads were not necessarily uh, all bads. It was more of discussion-generating pieces, mm-hmm. which I loved. Yeah. I don't see, even even with the, uh, the gooniness uh, here and there, uh, there's no way in the world I could rate this anything less than a 10. Yeah, I'll, I'll make it easy for everyone. Ten. <laughs> I love it when we find diamonds in the rough like this, mm. uh, in particular inside of a season that could have been fraught with disappointment. Right. Yeah. Um, not just because John's not here. Yeah. But because you know w- what happens at the end of a series that is not getting love usually, mm. and the answer is typically nothing good. Right. And so it was really, really great to see this literal diamond in the unburied welly rough as we got to it inside this episode. That's where we ask you guys, what do you rate this episode? Season 3, episode 14 of Friday the 13th, the series. Repetition. Repetition your ass over to our website, which by repetition you should know is CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and let us know what you think. What a tremendous episode filled with light bulb moments that I know will also illuminate everyone else's interest and zeal inside this episode, Nick. Absolutely, Mike. Until next time. No, 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 no. We can't stop just yet. We can't stop just yet. I actually have a gift for you. Oh, my. What have you got? It's a family heirloom. Yeah, yeah. You need to give him the locket. You really need to give him the locket. Shut up. I'm giving him the locket. Nick, um... Doing it right over there? No, yeah, uh, no, it's it's fine. Here, I just I, have I to don't get understand why you're my, talking to yourself. Out of my, no, no, I'm I'm talking to my bag. I'm talking to the oh. bag because I got to get the yeah. the gift. Just you got to give it to him. You got to give him the locket. You have to get me out of here. This is Bill. I'm dead. I need to get out of the locket. I will get you out of the locket. Yeah. Uh, just a quick note. You know, if you start talking to yourself, I I've heard that you know people lock you away for that, so you should stop that. <laughs> you're such a card, Mike Wilkerson. Here. This is an ornate family heirloom locket that I'd love to give to you oh, wow. for no re- weird reasons whatsoever. That's so very nice. For you. Oh, it, it, it matches my black t-shirt so well. Absolutely. It, it, Lots uh, of contrast. Just don't look at it. Oh. Hi, my name's Bill. You're, uh, you're going to die because uh, I'm stuck in a well and uh, I wouldn't be alive again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. I need my medicine. You see, mommy needs her medicine. He puts... No way, really. <laughs> I just said that, you idiot. He puts Give it... me my medicine. He... <laughs>
Confess. Confess your sins. It is the only way, my son. To the police, not to the priest. Not to me, but to the police. Later the... <laughs> I don't know why the priest is talking like a ghost. <laughs> the rating. The numbers which drive... That drive into children. Vroom! Eee! Bark, bark, bark. 